about what uh, the, the church uh, means, what the church is uh, all about for us. Uh, we are now in uh, our 10th uh, sermon on this subject in the series. We started off thinking of the foundation of the church, and the foundation of the church is the church is built on the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is owned by Jesus Christ. This church here is Christ's church. And as we built on that and looked on that, we started looking in the book of 1 Timothy, and 1 Timothy is like a manual for church life. And last week we were in the second chapter of uh, Timothy, we're in the last part of it, and there were three shocking statements. I don't know if you can remember those uh, three shocking statements. One was, the first one was, let the woman learn. And we thought, well, that's not really shocking now, because it, it's, 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 every woman should have the right and ability to, to learn. But back then, 2,000 years ago, we realized that actually ladies didn't have the opportunity to learn. And even within the synagogue and the religious life, ladies weren't allowed to get involved. And Paul was saying, no, ladies are to learn. Ladies are to have the opportunity of learning from God's word. And so that was a shock back then. But for us now, there could be this shock. And we also read that it said, do not let the woman be elders. It said there for the woman not to uh, uh, speak and, and teach uh, but to be silent in the services. And as looking at God's word, we saw this was God telling us that women shouldn't be elders. And that could be shocking nowadays. We could say, how dare God be so unequally friendly? How can, how can God be sexist in that way? And we have to take a step back and say, whose world is this? Is it ours to tell God what to do, or is it God's to tell us? And we saw very clearly from God's word that male and female are equal. We are both made in the image of God. And when God made us in his image and he looked upon us, he said we were the only part of creation which he said was very good. He made us equal. But he gave us different roles. And in making us equal, he also made us different. We, we can look around and we can quickly see who's male and female in this room, can't we? We can see, oh, he, he's a male, she's a female. We look different. We, we, we act differently. We, we think differently. We, we, as one person said, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. They're, they're so far apart because they're so different. But yet we are equal. But we are different. Yet we are equal. But we have got different roles. And within church life, as you look at God's word, it's not right, proper, for a lady to be an elder. And then we had this shocking statement that childbearing saves in verse 15 of chapter 2. And we scratched our heads and thought, what does this mean? Does this actually mean that only ladies who've had children can be Christians and saved? Well, no, it doesn't mean that. Because what we have to remember is when we look at God's word, we need to look at the whole of God's word to understand God's word. If you just take a verse out of context, it can go badly, badly wrong for you. And some people could take that out of context. You've got to look at what the whole thing is saying. 
And we realized there from the passage that what was being said there was Jesus came to this world. Jesus was born of a woman. Jesus was born into this world and he had a job to do. And his job was to save his people from their sins. And through the childbearing of Mary, through the Son of God coming into the world through the Virgin, we have this wonderful opportunity that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Why? Because Jesus paid the price of the sins of his people. Our sins deserve death. Our sins deserve the wrath of God. And yet Jesus came and took it. Well, we're moving on to this third chapter and... Uh, those of you that follow us on social media, those of you that are part of the WhatsApp group, and please do get connected in that way, you'll have seen that the, the title of today is Bishops Look Like. Bishops Look Like. Now, I, I'm not sure what you think about, think about when I ask the question, what does a bishop look like? But, but I imagine that for you, some things would spring to your minds. Uh, maybe you think of some gentleman wearing a large hat. Uh, possibly a cross on it or some gold. Maybe you think of long robes, probably white with gold and, and purple. Maybe you think of someone who's put their collar on back to front, so it's a little sort of, we call them in England a dog collar. That's probably very disrespectful in some cultures, but a little ecclesiastical collar. Maybe you're thinking of, of a, a large necklace with a big golden bling cross on it, or perhaps a wooden one if they're a bit more modest and, and, and there's always that long scarf with some some crosses on it perhaps that's what you think about uh perhaps that's what you think about when you think of what a bishop looks like well i was going to say that we actually have three bishops here with us today there's only two as, as i as i can see but we have two bishops with us here today and maybe you're thinking they must be on holiday i i can't see that they i can't see the bishops where, where's the clothes? Where are they? Who are they? What's, no, they can't be bishops here because they are uh, not there. Well, generally speaking, week by week, from the last little while, the last few years, there's always been three bishops at LPC Sunday by Sunday. Now, we read this passage from the uh, ESV, the English Standard Version, but if you have uh, a King James Version, authorized version in front of you, you'll notice there's a slight difference in some of the words. And in that first verse of chapter 3, you'd have seen the word bishop. In, in the ESV, it is translated uh, overseer. In, in the King James Version, it is uh, bishop. Now, the original word here in, in, the, in the Greek is called episkopos, which has been translated overseer or bishop or minister, or elder in different Bible translations. Now, that original word helps us to understand what's going on here, because originally that word had got nothing to do with church. Originally that word was to describe a deity, one of the gods, that was looking over a country. And then the language got changed. That then word was then used for men who had responsibility in positions of the state. So a mayor, so a governor, so a, a ruler of, of a city, a politician, back in those days would have been called an episkopos. 
Now, the Bible uses this word to describe a role in the church. And when you get difficult words or words that you're not sure of, one of the best things that you can do studying God's word is to look at where else in the Bible you find them. And when you can find them elsewhere in the Bible, you think, ah, that sheds light on it. And so I'm going to put some verses up on the screen. You can follow me if you would like. But if you go to 1 Philippians 1 and verse 1, again, it's Paul writing, and he's writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at the church at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, or with the bishops and deacons. The word there is again there. And we see that there's these roles within the church of overseers, and deacons, bishops and deacons. Again, if you flip to Titus, Titus chapter 1 and verse 7, there's a little explanation going on here, and it says, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. And that's the same word that's running through, this word of being a bishop, being an overseer, episkopos there. You can see another example in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 25. We're going to come to that one later, but I just want us to go to Acts in chapter 20. Those of you that are here at the beginning of the service, we read this passage together in Acts chapter 20. What is happening in Acts chapter 20, we're going to think about, because it helps us here looking at this passage in 1 Timothy. God's light sheds light on God's word. And so in verse 28 of chapter 20 of Acts, it says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. So we have the word overseer in there. We have the word bishop in there. We have the word episkopos in there. That's the word. Now, to understand that, we have to think to ourselves, well, who's he speaking to? Because it says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Who does Paul mean by yourselves as he's speaking there? If you go back to verse 17... That's where we started our reading this morning. In verse 17, it says, Now from Meticicus he sent us to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Paul is speaking to the elders. And the elders of the church are those that have been made overseers. So the original word for elders is Presbyterus and the Presbyterian church links closely to that uh, original word. And, and that word would have had the idea of a senior person. Uh, I, I think elders is something you're very, very familiar with from an African context, aren't you? The, the elders of the older, wiser gentlemen in the village, they gather around the tree and they hold council, don't they? Or within the city environment, the elders are those that have become the governors, and they are the ones that are taking care of the political situation. What was happening here is, in the Old Testament, the elder was both there as a religious and a civil position. And in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, where we see this word used, elder, it's used in the context of religious leaders, Religious leaders in the the synagogue or the Sanhedrin. 
But then something changes, like in a flash. When we get to Acts chapter 11 and verse 30, wherever it refers to elders, it starts talking about men that are within the church who have a particular role. And the role that's been talked about is the role of an overseer. A role of an overseer. So throughout the New Testament, the words episkopos, which we get the uh, word bishop or overseer, and the words presperus, presperus, which we get elder, are interchangeable. They are the same thing. So when you're looking at God's word and taking it seriously, within church life, there are only two roles of leadership. There are the elders... And there are the deacons. And the elders could be called bishops. The elders could be called overseers. The elders nowadays are very often called pastors. Yeah? So we have three elders at the moment at uh, LPC Church here. And that's why I said normally every Sunday there are three bishops here. Now, why don't the elders of LPC call themselves bishops instead of elders or pastors? Well, the word bishop has changed so much nowadays, hasn't it? When it was used 350-odd years ago, when they translated the uh, authorized version, it made sense. People understood what it meant, but now they don't. And if Pastor Phil and Pastor Andrew and, and myself suddenly called ourselves bishops, people's expectations of the church might be very different. They might be very disappointed when they just see Pastor Phil in a check shirt and a tie. They may be thinking, well, no, he should be wearing a great big gown. What's that? What's going wrong here? So we don't use that word so much nowadays, particularly not in our church setting. But when we talk about an elder, when we talk about a pastor, we're talking about someone who is taking that role like a bishop was in those years gone by. In, in, in some church settings, the bishop is, is of a higher rank. And so you might have a bishop and you might have uh, a deacon, an archdeacon, all these different ranks. In God's word, there's only two roles of leadership within a church. There is an elder and there is the deacon. And we can get a, a better idea of what, what's happening here because the, the word presbytus was, was more familiar with the Jews. The Jews understood that word. But episkopos was one that the Greeks would understand. And very often in God's word where Paul is addressing people that have got more Greeks in there, he'll use episkopos so they can understand what it means. And then when he's got more Jewish people there, he will use the, the other word. Uh, presbyters, so that they'd be more familiar with that. But I think episkopos, this word overseer, this word uh, bishop, helps us understand what of an elder is. And if Let's try again. Can we all hear me? Of course you can. So, 1 Peter 2, 25 Jesus is here. Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the overseer. Jesus is the, the, the bishop. And, and Jesus is the perfect example of the overseer. Jesus is the perfect example of 
the, the elder. And the picture language is the language of a shepherd. The picture language is the language of a flock. So you may have heard that. We all are very familiar with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we think of the church as being, in picture language, as a flock. A flock of sheep. And and Jesus was the overseer of their souls. And so when we look at the church now, when we look at the church here 2,000 years ago, Jesus has left it. He's left it with his Holy Spirit. But he's also left it with overseers, with bishops, with under-shepherds, if you like. Pastors to take care of the sheep. And so the role of the elder is to take care of the sheep. Now this is really, really important. It's a servant role. It's a caring role. It's a role that means that they should be looking after the sheep. And if you look at Jesus' example, Jesus gave his life for the sheep. And so an elder may have to give their life for the sheep. That's a kind of attitude that an elder should have towards his responsibility. And, and so the elders of LPC currently, Pastor Andrew, Pastor Phil, and myself, just like the elders in Ephesus that Paul was speaking to, our role is to look after the flock. And in Acts 20 and 28, it says there very clear, doesn't it? It says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church which he obtained by his blood. Now there's two things here that I want to highlight. The first thing is that the elder, the the overseer, has to take care of themselves. That might sound selfish, but it is vitally important. Because if the elder is not walking close with God, if the elder is not growing in Christ, if the elder is not functioning on a strong spiritual level, then how are they to look after the church? You've all been on an aeroplane. You have to. To get here, you have to be on an aeroplane. And at the beginning of your flight, what happens? You have the announcements, don't you? And the, the, the air hostess or the air steward comes out and then they show you the belt and go click together here and they show you the life belt and, and they show you the life vest and then they take the oxygen mask, don't they? And they drop it. And, and what do they say to you? You to put your own on first before you look out after anybody else. Why is that? Well, if you think you can help someone else and you haven't sorted yourself out, you could die. And this is the picture we have here with an elder. They should be taking care of themselves spiritually first so that they then can look out for others. So if someone is not taking care for themselves spiritually themselves, they should never, ever, ever be an elder. And after they've looked after themselves, then they are to look after and care for the flock. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. You pay careful attention to all the flock, to care for the church of God. Uh, and then it's, Paul just ramps up to them and says, look, this flock, 
Those of you that are here today that are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, Christ obtained you with his own blood. You are amazingly precious. What is the most valuable thing that we know nowadays? Well, everyone's getting really excited about Bitcoin, aren't they? Bitcoin is valuable. Bitcoin's going up in value. We think of gold as being valuable. Maybe you think of property as being valuable. Friends, you've been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's own son was sent to this world. And so the the job of the overseer, the job of the elder is huge because of the value of the flock. And so... If you remember nothing else from the sermon today, you need to pray for your elders. You need to pray for them because they have this huge responsibility of looking after this precious, precious commodity that was bought by Jesus' blood. You need to pray for them that they will take care of themselves and to take care of the flock. They cannot do it by themselves. Now this passage in 1 Timothy in chapter 3 is in the context of the whole letter of Timothy. The whole letter of Timothy, what's that about? Well, you'll all be thinking Timothy 3.15, which says how one ought to behave in the house of God. 1 Timothy, the book of Timothy, the letter of Timothy, is all about how to behave in church. It's like a church manual. And so a church is to have elders. This is what God wants for his church. And particularly with this passage here, we see in chapter 2, there were some problems the church in Ephesus was facing. And this problem that they were facing was false teachers coming up. In verse 6, we read that of chapter 1. Certain persons, by swerving from these, that's the truth, have wandered away into vain discussions. So there's some people, they've gone off in the wrong direction from God's word. And then in verse 7... It explains that rather than serving the truth, they've gone after this vain stuff, this false teaching. And then it also says that the desire to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things which they are making confident assertions. So there was a problem in the church in Ephesus that some people were wanting to be the leaders They were wanting to be the elders. They were wanting to be the overseers, but they weren't qualified because they didn't know the truth. And Paul was saying, look, you people here in Ephesus, you need elders. Those of you that are doing an MA in business, you'll probably be taught things like this, that an organization is only as good as its leaders. Yeah? And you, you probably sort of said that, uh, that people can't go past or raise or the quality can't get better than where the leaders are at. There, there is a sense of that within the church. And you see, the church at Ephesus is under threat of false teachers and the leadership. And Paul was concerned and Paul was wanting to set out to them, how can they be protected And it comes on for us now, 2,000 years later. There are still people who want to be elders who shouldn't be. And there still are people who are pastors and are being pastors who shouldn't be. And how can I say that? Because they do not match the standard that God sets out. And we need protecting from them because people who live and walk in that way 
draw the church away from God. And so this passage is vital to us now, as it was vital to them then. It was vital to them then because they they were under this threat. But to us now, we need God's men leading God's church in God's way. LPC needs God's men leading God's church in God's way. And things go badly, badly wrong when anything else happens. No, no, this passage is very relevant to us right now as a church because as a church now we are prayerfully considering appointing more elders. We're prayerfully considering and asking God to guide us in establishing a diaconate. And so members, you need to listen really carefully. Because in the future, we as a church will be appointing elders, appointing deacons. And how do we know what to do? Who should we choose? Is it should be someone? We should be choosing those that are like Christ and those that are like what this passage sets out. But also, this can be a great passage for, for you men. If you want to know as a Christian man what you should be aspiring to, This is it. If you want to know what you should be like as a Christian man, if you want to know what the bar is, what the the target is, this description is what you should be aspiring to. And ladies, if you want to know the right sort of guy to marry, this is the guy to be looking for. This is the description of what you should be looking for. It says there in verse 1 of chapter 3, this is a, a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. There's nothing wrong in wanting to be an elder for the right reasons. What are the right reasons? Well, as we go through the qualifications, we can see quite clearly what the right reasons are. But something to remember right at the beginning, it is a task, not a position. It's a task, not a position. It's, it's the office of the overseer. He desires a noble task. Now, you could say, well, an office is a position. Well, the reality is it, is it is a task. It is a duty. It is a royal responsibility. It's a noble task. Why is it a royal responsibility? Well, who is the flock? Who owns the church? God owns the church. The King of kings and the Lord of lords owns the church. And he wants men to take care of that church. That's why it's a noble task. You're working for the king, caring for his people. Now, many of you have applied for a job. I'm sure pretty much all of you may have applied for a job. And when you apply for a job, you are told the qualifications that you need. Now, if if you are writing yourselves now, thinking about some qualifications for an elder... What would you be thinking is important? We've got to choose some elders for LPC. What's important? What sort of kind of things should we be thinking about? And in some churches, immediately think we need to get the rich men in the congregation to be the elders. We, we need the men with money to be the elders. Because if, the, if they are elders, if they sit at the front, if they are the men and they've got big checkbooks and big wallets, the church will thrive. And some people think, well, no, the elders must have excellent leadership skills. 
We need to be looking for the people that have got MBAs. We need to be looking at the people who, who, are, who are gifted in, in, in leadership. People who, maybe, maybe the people who've led a football team. Maybe the people who have managed a business. They're the ones that we want. Churches think, well, perhaps we should be appointing those that have been successful in business. They've ran a business, they've grown a business, they've gotten lots of employees. They must be the man. Or, or some churches maybe think, well, what we should be going for is someone who is, is charismatic, egomatic. Someone who can, can, can go into a room and light it up. Someone who has a presence about them so that everyone looks and says, wow, he is our elder. Some, some churches insist that you have to have a master of divinity or a PhD. So you can be the reverend doctor. And, and why not throw an apostle in there for good measure? The reverend doctor, apostle, so-and-so. And, and that's what qualifies you. Well, let's look at what God's word says. Let, let, let's look at what God's word says. Because it's very clear to us. It, Paul tells Timothy, an overseer must be. This is an essential qualification. And, and we might be thinking, well, there's going to be a, a list of the gifts a list of the abilities. There's only one gift, one skill, if you like, that's in there that an elder should have. And it's three words. Able to teach. And then everything else is about the man's character. Everything else is about where his heart is at. Yes, they need to be able to teach. But all these other things about riches and, and, and leadership skills and qualifications, and th- th- they are not what God is looking for. God tells us very clearly that it's about the man's character. Now this is a very interesting insight into the, into the mind of God. What's important to him is not what you can do. What's important to God is what your heart makes you do. There's a huge difference. There's some people with amazing gifts and abilities and can do incredible things, but their heart keeps them from serving God. And so firstly, we we see that the ability to teach, we'll come back to that in a moment, but the, the, the man should be above reproach. In Cyprus, we've recently seen what happens with sleaze and slander to a politician. The government has collapsed. It's reformed because of not being above reproach. And tragically, in the church, if an elder falls morally, if an elder does something publicly that is wrong and sinful... Or has done something that's wrong and sinful and it comes out. It drags God's name through the mud. And the the church are confused. And, And so when you're looking for an elder, you need to look for someone who is above reproach. And with regard and very closely linked to this, it says the husband of one wife. Or you could put it like this, he should be a one-woman man. Now, a polygamist cannot be an elder. They can be forgiven, they can be brought into the church, they can be a member of the church, but they cannot be an elder. Because God's standard is clear. But what is 
What is more important than that, because that's an extreme example that can happen in, in, in different parts of the world, but it's not the normal. What really is being told here is this has got more to do with marital and sexual fidelity. You see, that man should be a man of one wife and he shouldn't be messing around elsewhere. If he's got a secret mistress elsewhere, that doesn't count. He's messed up. One wife is sexual purity. This is what's going on here. So does that disqualify an unmarried man? Is, is that what's been said here? No. If the unmarried man is sexually pure, if the unmarried man is on track to be a one-woman man, then there's not a problem. So if this unmarried man is a flirt, we've got a red light warning us. If this unmarried man is stuck in the trap of pornography, that would disqualify him. You have to dig deep and know these people. And similarly, if, if it's a married man and, and pornography is there in his life, that should disqualify him. Purity. Purity above reproach. And, and that goes on to a self-mastery, that this idea that he should be sober-minded, self-controlled and respectable. An elder needs to be in control of himself. His actions will be predictable. His actions will be thoughtful. You'll know that if you go to him, you'll be able to think on a situation. If you tell him something outrageous, he will be able to be self-controlled and listen to it. He doesn't do foolish things. No, no, this is a high standard. And you're thinking, well, no one can be like this. This is People do make mistakes for sure. But, but there's some mistakes that an elder cannot make. And that's being a one-man woman. But they should be showing that they are sober-minded, that they are self-controlled, that they are respectable, that their, their actions will be predictable. In some senses, an elder is quite boring because they're predictable. You'll bring a problem to them and they will help you. They will see a problem and they'll call it out. They don't get all excited about a whim. They, 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 they think about it. They should be hospitable. In, in that day and age back then, hospitality was really, really important. There was, there was no hotels as such. And anything that was a hotel was more like a Turkish Cypriot nightclub. So you, you're with me there with that one. It's not where a Christian man should go to stay. And so when people visited cities, they, they needed Hospitality. And the elders of the church with those should be getting involved with that. Helping out, looking out. And hospitality still is very important. And what we see here is an elder should be a man who is, who is willing to put himself out for the benefit and for the needs of others. So if you, if you phone him up and say, I need to speak to you, he won't just say, okay, let me look in my diary. I can come and see you in five weeks' time at 10 o'clock. When you need him, he will get there. He will make it. When he sees a need, he will help out. It's about being practical. We said there at the beginning, there's that little one hidden in the middle. The actual gift, if you like. He's able to preach. This is not saying that every pastor should have a certificate to say that he won Preacher of the Year for 2001. That's not what it's saying. 
It's not saying that he should have a huge Instagram following of, of all the people around the world listening to him because he is the preacher. No, he needs to be someone who is able to faithfully communicate God's word. Faithfully let the congregation and church know about it. Faithfully sit alongside somebody and open God's word and say, what does this mean in your situation? Comfort someone with God's word in the Psalms or whatever it is. Not all teaching is preaching. And not all teaching is to large groups. But this man needs to be someone who is able to communicate God's word. Now, now the biblical model, and we'll come to this probably more later, is that there are two sort of kinds of elders in some ways. There's a preaching and teaching elders, and there's ruling elders. But all elders should be able to teach. Some of them may have more emphasis on preaching, and some of them may have more emphasis on uh, administration, well, not so much administration, but ruling and pastoring and, and taking care of the flock. But all of them should be competent in being able to open up God's word and to encourage them in God's word. And then the description moves on to a set of knots. So the, the, the elder must not be, he must not be a drunkard. Now this doesn't say thou shalt not drink. Because Timothy was told earlier to take a little wine for his stomach's sake. Yeah. But friends, the easiest way not to get drunk is to never drink. And some elders have taken that view. Some members of the church have taken that view. And, and that's very commendable. And, and if you can't exercise self-control with alcohol, then you don't drink. It's as simple as that. But what's going on here is the, the, the elder is not to be a drunkard because what happens when someone gets drunk? And, and someone might ask me this question this evening, and please don't. And the question kind of goes like this. How much do you drink before you become drunk? <laughs> or how much drinking can I get away with before I go over the mark? That is not really what the question is about. You have a problem there. That's the wrong question. You see, drunkenness takes away your propriety. It, it takes away your self-control. It, it means that suddenly a man that wasn't violent becomes violent. A man that was able to control his sexual urges suddenly becomes free with his sexuality. Drunkenness can quickly lead to the things that they're told not to be. This is a real protector. This is a protector for an elder. And, and we should be thinking, we don't want someone who's in that situation who's putting themselves in that temptation's way. We should flee from those kinds of things. When I was at college, university, I, I found it fascinating that where the gym was was actually quite close to where the student union bar and social area was. And so I'd often be leaving there about sort of 9, 10 at night from the gym, going back home, and some of the guys would be staggering out of the, of the, of the bar. And often these little tiny guys would suddenly look up at me and want to fight. <laughs> I'm thinking, are you serious? And why was it? It was because they had beer goggles on. They drank too much and then they weren't thinking straight. And an elder must be someone who can think straight. 
And thinking straight is avoiding alcohol. Thinking straight is not being violent, but being gentle, not being quarrelsome. You see, an elder needs to sort out problems in the church. And if he just pulls his sleeves up and says, right, let's sort this out with my fist, that's wrong. When someone is in sin, they gently need to speak to them and point to their sin and say, God's word shows that you are wrong. And not quarrelsome, not saying, oh, I know the definitive on this issue. I've, I've studied it, I've worked out, I know all about head coverings. And that means you should or you should not. And they become quarrelsome. They don't, we don't want quarrelsome people within the church. We need gentle people. And this is very much in keeping with chapter 2, doesn't it? That the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Big one for nowadays. Not a lover of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This doesn't mean that someone who's rich is disqualified. It doesn't mean that a church should keep their elders poor. That's not right, neither. But it does mean that an elder should have a right attitude to money. And and back then, in this time in Timothy, there was a problem because some of these elders and some of these people were using their position to make money. And quite frankly, that is happening on the island now, and it is sinful, and it is wrong. The elder should not be a lover of money. The pastor should not be a lover of money. If if they are a lover of money, how can a man serve two masters? He shall love the one and hate the other. And so God's word tells him to speak out against Yahoo, to speak out against internet scamming. And he thinks, but if I do that, my tithe is going to go down. I'm not going to get the money. I'll just go soft on that and I'll talk about how God loves you all and he'll prosper you in Jesus' name. And every key you touch on your computer shall bring you money. And Bitcoin will come in. And that person's a lover of money. And that person's not the pastor or the elder that you need. You need a man who will open God's word and say it as it is. Well, I haven't got through it all. But God willing, we'll have next week. So we're going to carry on next week and finish off the elder and and look at the deacon. But just wrapping this up in a very practical thing for closing, yeah? We we realize that the elder has a particular role. And as we choose elders, and we're going to see more of of the attributes next week, but as we choose them, as we think about them, we need the Holy Spirit to guide us. Because in Acts 20, 28, it says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit made the overseers. And so as a church, pray that the Holy Spirit guides us to the right elders. And then pray that the Holy Spirit will enable the elders that you've got already to do the work to his glory. Because the devil wants to stop it. And so you, friends, must uphold your elders Because the devil's after them. And us as elders need upholding because we take care of you. And you are Christ's precious chosen child bought with his blood. Amen. Amen.